0: As is well known, we are now in the process of destroying our environment as a result of an attempt to conquer it and master it. And we have not realized, therefore, that our environment is not something other than ourselves. In assuming that it is, we have made a great mistake and are now paying the price for it.
1: Welcome back to The Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. In today's beautiful episode, I got to have an absolute legend in the world of uh, psychology and parapsychology, Dr. Stanley Krippner. Stanley is, uh, he's written extensively on altered states of consciousness, dream telepathy, hypnosis, shamanism, disassociation and parapsychological subjects Um, so we get into some pretty interesting wormholes in this conversation Um, he is is slash was good friends with a lot of people that I like consider to be absolute legends of their time such as mr. Alan Watts who I reference here quite a bit and uh, that previous quote was from Alan as well so I hope you guys really enjoy this conversation
0: and back when the early shamans of some 50,000 years or more ago were administering rituals, plants, chants, incantations, if the person was suggestible and thought that this would be helpful, the self healing properties of that person would become activated and they would survive.
1: Thank you so much for tuning into the website, AlignTherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N-Therapy.com. On there, you will find hundreds of videos on self-care and functional movement. And uh, you can get yourself 10% off on Four Sigmatic products. Um, Anyone that leaves reviews on iTunes, if we read your review, then we will send you out a box of Four Sigmatic mushroom products of of your choice. So uh, get yourself some Cordyceps or Lion's Mane or Reishi or whatever you're into. Uh, Four Sigmatic is a really radical company that creates various different medicinal mushroom blends being being infused into coffee and teas. And then as well, you can get them separate on their own, Uh, folks like Tim Ferriss and all sorts of really radical people are getting down on this stuff and get yourself 10% off at foursigmatic.com/align that's f o u r sigmatic.com/align and get 10% off on any mushroom blend of your choice i use them every day All right, I have a quote here from another friend of Dr. Stanley Krippner's, Mr. Aldous Huxley, and the quote goes like this, experience is not what happens to a man, it is what a man does with what happens to him. I think that is fantastic it's very very stoic in nature and uh, a lot like um, what's his face uh, man's search for meeting Viktor Frankl one of my one of my absolute favorite authors uh, shares similar sentiments so ponder on that I think that's quite a relevant way to perceive this reality of ours um, thank you so much for using the Amazon affiliate link on the right hand sidebar of the blog and podcast page of aligntherapy.com um, jump on there anytime you're purchasing any crap on on Amazon, por favor, utilize that link because we get about 7% of that purchase. It just takes it out of the Amazon and puts it into the Align Podcast Foundation, which is really, greatly appreciated. allows us to keep this show on the road. Um, I think we're good. Um, thank you so much once again for tuning in and uh, enjoy the show with Dr. Stanley Krippner.
0: Align Podcast.
1: I absolutely let the music be turned off because there's it's on very low,
0: but I didn't even turn it off. <laughs> yeah, I thought I think you did turn it off. Now here it is. Sorry about
1: that. No, it's very nice. I've I've, I've really I've really quite enjoyed it. <laughs> just like just, that. Hopefully it didn't lull you to sleep. No, no, it was, it was great. I gotta I have a uh, a I'm I'm chewing on coca leaf from from Peru right now, so I'm I'm well stimulated.
0: <laughs> do you bring that back, or do you order that from mysterious Bolivia? I have I'm a st- I
1: have a I have a friend that orders it and then gave it to me as a gift. But I did I attempt no, actually not so sure. I was thinking about bringing some back when I was there, and I was <laughs> like I didn't have the balls to do it. But yeah. it's great stuff, man. They use it for acclimatization and energy, and I mean it's it's a, it's a health supplement, just like any of these plant medicines are. Is kind of one of the reasons That's I want to we thing used talk it about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one I'm familiar. With. Right, exactly. Have you ever, have you ever, Stanley? Have you ever um, used coca leaf at all from from South America? Just chewed on it.
0: I Used what?
1: The coca leaf.
0: Oh, when I was in South America, yeah, I chewed coca leaves when I was in uh, Machu Picchu. Yeah, because the altitude is so high, right, that you are losing some energy and stamina. So we had coca tea. We chewed coca leaves to give us the energy to make the most of our trip. Yeah. In fact, several times in Peru, we had uh, coca leaves and coca tea. Yeah. And in high altitudes, that worked very well. Haven't had it since, but it worked very well in Peru.
1: When I come down to San Francisco, I'll bring you some some coca leaf. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it wonderful. You know, and that's and that's one of the big things that. You know, I would like to project with this podcast is, you know, the normalization of these plants as tools, you know, as opposed to having this this really small minded, ignorant uh, taboo around them, recognizing the value with each of them and not that we need to abuse them like we assume we will do.
0: Well, that's why the term plant medicine is very appropriate and plant technology is very appropriate. And, of course, in a sane society, these would be normalized. They'd find their way into the ordinary scheme of things and would be used when appropriate.
1: So what's your experience with, with, um, with shamanism and, and ayahuasca and, and that specifically?
0: You have to re- separate shamanisms from ayahuasca because yep. most shamanism does not involve ayahuasca. Right. And there's a lot of shamanism that does not involve psychoactive plants at all.
1: Right.
0: There are shamans, I would say most shamans, use some sort of herbal medicine, but it's not always, uh, shall we say, mind-altering herbal medicine. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, your question about ayahuasca can be very simply answered I've taken ayahuasca ten times, always with the Santo Daime Church or the Uniao de Vegetal Church, and both of them now have clearance from the U.S. Supreme Court to use ayahuasca for their congregation in completely legal settings, which was a big breakthrough for the ayahuasca movement in the United States. I learned something from each of my ayahuasca sessions, and they were all either in Brazil, or with the uh, the Santo Daime Church in the state of Hawaii in the United States.
1: Oh, cool, Right. And do and you? I've,
0: I've written about some of these experiences on my website, by the way.
1: Yeah, I've I've read I've read some. Of them. Do you? Um, during the ceremonies that I've done, it was always a part of the the tradition to do some type of set an intention with the medicine before you actually drink it. Is that something that you had had done? And if so, what
0: yes, I think that's very important to have sort of an intention or sort of a framework. Right. And this of course is what differs people who use these substances recreationally. Right. They use them for fun and sometimes they do have a great deal of enjoyment from them, but they don't have a serious intent. And so the experience comes, the experience goes, and by and large, they've never learned anything from it, except that it's fun, and if they can get through without having a bad trip or a bodily reaction, they'll probably do it again. But to get the most out of the experience, some intention is very, very important. And here's where I recommend James Fadiman's book, The Intelligent User's Guide to Psychedelic Experience. where he tells people who are going to take LSD or some other psychedelic substance exactly what they should do in terms of preparation to get the most out of the experience. And I think that uh, anybody who has the right intention is much better prepared than for a casual user.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that was something that I found to be really relevant is – the preparation going into any experience and then the work that you continue to utilize after that.
0: Yes, that sometimes that's the key. Have, yeah, sometimes you have a surprise. I was with our mutual friend Chris Ryan in Brazil and it was his first ayahuasca experience. I would gotten permission to take him to a... Uh, to an... Uniao de Vegetal service off of the rainforest, and so we were going in a small jeep with some other people who were going to the church service, and suddenly Chris turned to me, he said, you see that beautiful woman we just passed? And I said, no, I don't see her. Oh, no, we passed her now, too late. I hope she's going to the services tonight because she's so beautiful. She's Brazilian because she's dark-skinned, but she has red henna hair, a cast mark on her forehead, and a green sari. Mm. And I said, well, we'll probably see her there, but she'd better hurry up if she's going to get there in time for the church services. So we arrived at the chapel out in the middle of the rainforest, and we went in through the kitchen entrance, and there, preparing the snacks— was a beautiful Brazilian, dark-skinned woman with red hennaed hair, a cast mark, and a blue sari. And Chris said, how did you get here so quickly? And she said, well, I've been here all afternoon. So there you had an ayahuasca experience even before he had taken ayahuasca. <laughs>
1: Do you have an opinion in relation to, to psychedelic experiences versus the, the dream state or the hypno, hypnagogic or hypnopompic state? Is that There's obviously a differentiation there, but are we kind of knocking on similar doors with that? Or is it, what, do you, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, you can't use the word versus because they're certainly not in opposition to each other.
1: Right.
0: And of course, they are different. They activate different parts of the brain. Sleep and dreams are a naturally occurring experience. Just about everybody dreams every night, whether they realize it or not. And use of psychedelics, even though it's widespread around the world, it's not a daily thing. It's something that you deliberately or sometimes accidentally uh, have happened to you. But dreams are in and of themselves creative, Because in dreams, from what we know about the brain, the chemicals that go into this sleep-dream cycle activate the visual motor cortex of the brain, and that is why our dreams basically are visual and involve movement. Mm. And once activated, all of these Memories and impressions that we've had, shall we say, stored in the brain are recreated into a novel story or narrative, and we use that narrative for many, many different purposes. The main reason that we dream is actually to solidify memories. We forget what's not important. We remember what is important. And sleep and dreams help us to do that. Mm. But also, dreams can help us to download emotions. We have a lot of emotional residue from the day, and we can release that during dreams, which is why so many dreams are unpleasant. It doesn't mean we should have psychotherapy. It means that the dreams are simply doing their job. They're helping us to purge some of the negative emotions we've stored up during the day. Right. But dreams could also solve problems, putting together pieces of information that we've had around for a long time. And as a result, we get dreams like uh, Paul McCartney's yesterday. We get uh, dreams like um, like the invention of the sewing machine by Eli Whitney, who had a dream about savages throwing a spear at him. He noticed the hole was in the tip of the spear, and this gave him the inspiration to perfect the uh, threaded sewing machine. We have inventions coming from dreams. We have literature coming from dreams, movies coming from dreams. With people who are basically creative in the first place, we have a number of these consolidated elements give their creativity a little bit of a boost. Mm. But dreams also can help us plan for the future. We do a lot of rehearsal in dreams so that we're prepared maybe for an emergency event in the future. And this, again, is why dreams have been adaptive, have helped humankind survive. If dreams weren't adaptive, if they were just a waste of time, they would have died out hundreds of thousands of years ago. But no, dreams have been a big help to human evolution, and the fact that they help us get through the day, and they help us survive, and even help us thrive, means that they're here to stay. Yeah,
1: something I've heard you mention uh, in the past, but I, I love was the the evolution of our hypnotic ability, being that being a survival trait for people and tribal societies, or you know, if if, if it's just tribal societies in general, and. That if you're not able to tap into your own hypnotic ability, then the likelihood of you being able to tap into your own self-healing capabilities is diminished, so you end up dying off. And it's something that we almost balk at in our society oh, yes, today. So
0: done your homework, I've made a big issue of this over the years, that hypnosis and suggestibility are adaptive in human evolution. Right. And back when the early shamans of some 50,000 years or more ago were administering rituals plants, chants, incantations. If the person was suggestible and thought that this would be helpful, the self-healing properties of that person would become activated and they would survive. The people who did not respond to the placebos died off and their genes dropped out of the gene pool. Mm -hmm. So as a result, today, we have people are for better or for worse, very suggestible, and for better, are responsive to therapeutic hypnosis that can be used for any number of purposes. Mm.
1: And it seems to me that now we're, we're kind of, it's a different translation of shamans when we look at Western medicine, where it's like, instead of having a stethoscope, we have, you know, an eagle feather. Instead of having a hospital, we have a ceremonial tent or yurt or what, what it is. But I think it's still the most important thing, oftentimes, is that hypnotic ability. We just respond to different types of hypnosis now, I think.
0: Well, no, I think, I, I think you're right. You realize that over half of the medicines that are in use today never have gone through double-blind testing. Mm. They're still in the pharmacopoeia because they work. And my hunch is a lot of them work because of the placebo effect. There has been a recent study of people who have bipolar disorder who are taking heavy-duty drugs for the bipolar disorder And we now know that most of them work by placebo because people with bipolar disorder can get well just as quickly through hypnosis, through psychotherapy. They don't really need all of those heavy-duty drugs with all of their side effects. Mm -hmm. There are a few people who are extremely depressed, extremely bipolar, and they do need drugs at least for a short period of time to stay alive, to keep from killing themselves, or to be able to maneuver their way in the world. Yeah. But uh, psychotherapy, including therapeutic hypnosis, is an underused tool, and that does not lead to side effects that the uh, drugs use. And, of course, Big farm, the pharmaceutical companies, which are growing rich off all of these drug sales, don't like to hear this. They don't like to hear that there are non-heavy-duty drugs and techniques that can be extremely effective.
1: Yeah. I think oftentimes with pharmaceutical drugs, we get well in spite of them. You know, it's taxing our liver, and it's, it's having these potential negative side effects, but perhaps it's still activating our hypnotic ability to the degree that we're able to heal ourselves, but we give all the credit to this peripheral source.
0: And yeah, I, too much credit, right. Too right. much credit. <laughs> Well, so you were asking about my contact with shamans. Yeah. And of course, the shaman I had the most contact with is Rolling Thunder. And his grandson and I put together the book, The Voice of Rolling Thunder, which tells the story of his life and contains a lot of testimonials from people who he helped and healed. And Rolling Thunder was exceptionally interested in hypnosis, and he actually had me use hypnosis with some of the people that he was, as he put it, doctoring, and he did his ritual, I did my hypnosis work, and we both were trying to activate, shall we say, the inner shaman, Mm -hmm. activate the placebo effect that would help the person get well. Mm -hmm. And he even had me use hypnosis with his wife when she was dying of cancer to help reduce the pain. And It worked very, very well, and he told me it worked better than the money that he had spent on bringing famous medicine men from all over the country to try to help her out. Of course, I charged absolutely nothing, and she did have a peaceful passing. And talking about dreams, I was in Mexico when she passed on, and I actually had a dream about her, and in the dream she said, I've come to say goodbye, I will not be seeing you on this earth anymore. And that was the very night that she passed.
1: Mm. Wow. Yeah, I think medicine can lie in all sorts of places that we don't necessarily traditionally accept as being the medicine bringer. That's true. And that's that's really special. You know, it's finding your own medicine, I think, is an important thing. And that's, again, we prefer to give the responsibility out. I think because we potentially fear the responsibility of my pain is mine. You know, and, and I think that that's, it's, it's easy to say this pain is this peripheral source and I need something from the outside to come and fix it as opposed to really integrating it and saying I can work with this from the inside. I can be my own shaman. Is that?
0: Well, that's very true. And again, the shamans who I get to know very well and who we discuss these topics with tell me that they can do nothing without the person who they're doctoring right. cooperating and they often say that they've got to find their own inner shaman if they're going to get well. Yeah. And usually the shamans give them homework assignments, different chants, different prayers, different types of herbal teas, so that they're constantly reminded of what the shaman did with them and are now taking the next step at in incorporating that so that they continue to get well.
1: Yeah. And I feel you had mentioned the solidification of memories in dreaming. And I I feel like oftentimes that is something like you had already mentioned where we have this software that we've patterned in ourselves, and oftentimes that software, those habits, those are that is the disease. That is that is the root of our illness. But we're not able to get out of the way of ourselves. And so sometimes these hypnotic states or psychedelic states or you know whatever it may be just allows you to move over so that your own healing can happen. Is that?
0: Well, of course, this is very, very true. And this is something that I confront from time to time when I work with post-traumatic stress disorder nightmares. And post-traumatic PTSD nightmares are extremely resistant to change because they occur in different parts of the brain. One comes up with a more positive ending to the dream and rehearses that during the day, closing their eyes, imagining the new ending, imagining the new meaning to be gotten from the traumatic experience, working on this maybe a dozen times during the day, and eventually the nightmare itself will start to change. So there's a lot of relearning that needs to be done when working with PTSD nightmares. And, of course, when... People go down to Brazil or Peru and work for shamans because they have PTSD. This drastically alters the brain chemistry, and one of the common things that they tell me is that their nightmares change and even come to an end. Mm. Of course, this is something that very few people have the time and money to do, and there's no guarantee that it's going to work because you're dealing with practitioners in a different culture But some people are so desperate to get out of the PTSD cycle that they will do anything, even if it means going to a country where they don't know the language, where they don't know the diet, where they are taking a chance on the shaman and the shaman's community, and yet some of them come back in good shape.
1: Yeah. There's a, a... I feel like there's significance in in the relation to oftentimes unnecessary surgeries, what, like Western practice surgeries, end up leading to healing because of the fact that we change the pattern of that individual up. We force them to rest for two months. We we we, we feel like they're 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 being helped. Like I think there is a hypnotic component to even actual surgery in your yes, body. Yes,
0: even even with surgery, and of course, it's a sensitive area but a number of years ago, there was a study concerning heart bypass, and a number of people were given an operation that had nothing to do with heart bypass surgery. And a lot of them recovered. Not as many as recovered from the actual heart bypass surgery, but a big chunk of people recovered simply because they had an operation and they believed that that was going to help their heart work better. Yeah, yeah, you can't find any better demonstration of imagination, belief, and placebo than something like that.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of. There's another one that was done in Finland with arthroscopic knee surgery, and exact same results. Anyway, it's 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 it's. But it's it's very. It's curious to me how in our culture, you know, since I don't know, maybe like Roman days, it seems like. We want to push that away and ridicule that and belittle that and put this put all of our own abilities kind of into this separate corner, and it's I don't know I don't know how that happened. (laughs)
0: Well, it's, it's a shame. People really need to to discover their own inner healing capacities and. There's a number of excellent programs that help them to do that. There's a number of holistic health practitioners who can teach them how to change their diet, to integrate exercise into their lives, to meditate or to pray or use imagination to be mindful. And all of this can lead to much better health. Yeah.
1: Yeah, another thing that um, is utilized with, you know, which we wrote with Rolling Thunder and I think shamanism in general is um, chanting and uh, dance and movement in general. You know, and that's a, and once again, when we take this pharmaceutical drug or surgery or whatever it is, oftentimes it's the antithesis of moving through your body. You know, we don't get any education how to move ourselves in such a way that we're able to not
0: hold on to stuff. You... Well, absolutely. My dear friend Anna Halprin, who is a very famous dancer, turned 95 last year, and I was at her birthday party. But many people don't realize that a couple of decades earlier she had cancer. And instead of taking medication or surgery, she simply danced every day. She <laughs> actually danced her way through the cancer. Yeah. It worked for her. I have another friend, Jean Erdman of Hawaii, a dancer. She celebrated her 100th birthday this year. And she dances every day at the age of 100. And she attributes her long health and her active mind to dancing. Yeah. And of course, there are any number of martial arts like Tai Chi and Judo, Taekwondo that help people to get in touch with their body, and that are excellent exercise, as well as excellent ways to coordinate mind and body. Yeah. So I don't put down exercise at all. I think that exercise, movement, dance, I exercise every day myself. Awesome. And I think that this is really an important key to good health.
1: Yeah. Do you, have you, do you still use uh, psychoactive supplements of any sort these days?
0: Well, I haven't for years, to tell you the truth.
1: Okay. am not
0: you... saying that I will not do it again, but I learned something in my last ayahuasca experience, very important learning, something that I'm still trying to master and get on top of, and that's enough of a challenge. Yeah.
1: yeah. Are you Are you able to talk about that? It's okay if not.
0: Too complicated. Okay. <laughs> wouldn't be of much interest to your... Here, here. Well, you know. I'll, be there. I'll be very happy to tell you about another experience that I had with Ayahuasca that won't take too much time sure. this was in Brazil and this was at a Uniao de Vegetal Church outside of Brasilia, the capital city and I went into the experience with an intent and I said tonight I want to find myself in the mind of God. And lo and behold, I did. Hmm. And the mind of God was in a huge tower. The tower was very beautiful. It was a lovely shade of purple. And inside the tower, I saw tiles on the walls, literally thousands of tiles. And they were in various shades of blue and green. Now... Some of the tiles had inscriptions written on them, and some of them didn't, and some of them had very pale inscriptions. And a voice told me the ones with inscriptions on them are laws of the universe that people already know. The ones with pale inscriptions are the laws of the universe that people will know in the future. The ones that are blank are laws of the universe that people will never know, so I think this makes us modest. We'll never know everything. Yeah. <laughs> Jose Delgado is a very famous Spanish uh, psychophysiologist, and he once told me, "No, we'll never know any everything because we don't have enough brain cells." Well, that puts it very bluntly, and I think he's right.
1: Mm. Do you have any, um, any sense of, like, afterlife or anything like that, or is, what's, what's your opinion in that?
0: I've actually just published a research study on that very topic. I was working with an assistant chaplain, who I'm keeping anonymous, because she was having dreams about soldiers who had been killed in Iraq and Afghanistan, and they gave very specific names— and places, and she took those to a chaplain who had been in Iraq and Afghanistan and he knew these young men. And They looked up their records and the names were correct, the places that they were killed were correct, specific details were correct, and she said, why are you coming into my dreams? Why, first of all, why don't you come go into the chaplain's dreams? No, he is not sensitive enough. We knew him when we were alive, but you're sensitive. Hmm. And so we have to work through you. And so that answered that question. And she said, why is it important that I have this information? And they said, we want to demonstrate to people that there is life after death, and we want our loved ones not to mourn for us, because we're happy on the other side. And of course, we died very young. We died in a very brutal way and then perhaps an unnecessary way, but that's behind us and we're continuing our spiritual development. And we are now on the other side and that's what we want people to know. So you can attribute that to fantasy, to wishful thinking, to ESP, but requires a lot of extrasensory perception to come up with specific names and specific dates and specific places, and that all came to her in her dreams. Did she make this up? Was she in collusion with her partner? This, of course, is always a possibility, but what would be the motive? What would be the motive? They're in the Army. If they were caught committing fraud, they'd be fired. They'd be dishonorably discharged. So I think that This gives a clue. Also, I have talked to people who've had near-death experiences. I've read a lot about this topic, and I am a member of an association for near-death studies. And these people bring back incredible stories of the afterlife once they survive. And the most interesting thing to me is that their accounts of the afterlife don't quite fit into what organized religion tells us happens after death. Hmm. And so organized religion might serve a very useful purpose for many people, but they can't convince me that they know the answers and that they know the whole truth and that their holy books answer all of our questions. We have to be very modest. There's a lot we don't know, and as I said before, a lot that we probably won't know.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I feel like the, the you know, religious dogmas that we end up sometimes becoming consumed by are, from my perspective, and I kind of borrowed this from Alan Watts, is almost like a crutch to get to a, another level, whatever it may be. But the highest level, from what Alan says, of religion is no religion. You know, and getting to the point where you're not dependent on some specific belief system, but more that you can kind of blend with the whole is that
0: Alan put it very well, and of course, some people really need a crutch. They need a crutch to survive from day to day because their life is so miserable, so horrible, and so wretched. And what would they do without those crutches? Hmm. But I think that what Alan is getting at is that when you get into the area of no religion, you don't leave spirituality behind. Alan Watts was a very spiritual person, and he was spiritual, in terms of his knowledge of the human spirit and how we can enhance the human spirit and our connection with all humankind through compassion, through love, through empathy, through joy, through fun, through laughter, and through connections with nature. Alan was very Taoist in that sense of the word. And his last book was about Taoism, the Watercourse Way. And, of course, Taoism puts a great stress upon nature and oneness with nature and how we can learn from nature. The shamans who I work with all have power birds or power animals that they draw upon for wisdom. Rolling Thunder was very, very close to eagles. And one of the stories we tell in our book, The Voice of Rolling Thunder, is how a young man, a photographer, was visiting Rolling Thunder, he had given three three months to live. He went to visit Rolling Thunder. At the end of three months, he was healed. He stayed for another three months. He never dared ask Rolling Thunder for a photograph because he knew Rolling Thunder didn't like to be photographed. But on his last week at Rolling Thunder's camp, his friend brought in a little wounded eagle that had fallen out of a nest. And the eagle was yakking and squawking and... They took him to Rolling Thunder, Rolling Thunder took the eagle and the eagle stopped squawking immediately and that picture is on the cover of our book. (laughs) And shortly after that picture was taken, Rolling Thunder said to my friend, you have your photograph now. And he said to the eagle, now you can go. And the eagle flew back to its nest. Mm. So that was healing the eagle, healing the photographer. A great healing story.
1: Wow! Something you mentioned earlier was the um, the colors that you had witnessed. I believe with it it was what was it? It was in reference to near death experience. Oh, showing you when you asked when you asked the plant to show you what was it? Show you light, show you heaven, show you eternity. You'd mentioned purple colors. I'm sorry, I'm spacing the.
0: Oh yes.
1: But, anyways, the usage of colors—something that I had read in the in the book—was the uh, when you had done some hypnotherapy with the Grateful Dead, Mickey Hart, um, yeah. and the usage of of playing to the color blue and then playing to the color red. I'm curious how the 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 effect of maybe the more subtle effects of color that we might not realize in our day to day life. Is that something that you? Well, into? yes,
0: that was something that Mickey Hart asked me to do, actually. And we did it in his studio with Bill Kreutzmann, the other drummer from The Grateful Dead. That was years ago, and I've written that up, and Mickey has even uh, commented on it in print, so there's no harm in telling your audience about it. Um, We did several things with hypnosis, but at one point, I told Bill and Mickey that they would be inundated with the color red, and that they would play drums to express redness, hmm. which they did. And then after half an hour of redness, I switched them to green. And of course, the drumming was completely different. And then I switched to blue. So it was different again. So we used different, pro- different colors, very solid, vibrant covers, of course. Yeah. And while they were playing this, they, under hypnosis, were of one mind. And so they were very closely in tune with each other. Mickey claims that it affected their drumming from that point on. I didn't make that claim, but I'm very grateful that Mickey made that claim because now they're still going strong. They're out on the road with uh, Dead and Company and having a very successful tour 50 years after the... uh, uh, it was originally founded.
1: Wow. That's, that's incredible. Um, you, and so is there any usage of, of color that you may use with other folks in the realm of potentially curing or helping, assisting with PTSD or addiction or just anything in general? Is that something that you utilize?
0: Actually, there has been some work with color. And if people are in an environment with pink, of all things, pink has a very common, calming effect upon them. And this is why pink is very appropriate for nurseries. Mm. Now you think pink is associated with girls, why not put blue? No, blue has a little bit of a different effect. It's not exactly calming. It can be a little bit depressing. Mm. So you don't want to use blue for babies. You want to use a calming color like pink. But there's a whole literature on colors And the important thing to realize is that different colors are different reactings for different people, and there's no universal color. People think, well, black always means death. No, it doesn't mean death. In Africa, there are some tribes where black is the color of weddings. And people think, oh, white is always the color of life. No, white is not always the color of life. In some tribes, white is used for death, for burial services. Mm. And in some place, he said, "Oh no, red always means blood, patriotism." This is all nonsense. Colors differ from culture to culture, and the meaning of colors differs from person to person. Right. People are complicated. Cult- cultures are complicated, and it's very hard to make an overall statement that's going to apply to everybody, all times, all places. Yeah. Life is just too complicated for that. <laughs>
1: It seems like a worthy venture to tap into how colors affect each individual. That's another thing that I think sometimes we we kind of pride ourselves in being dull and being hard and not feeling pain and not being sensitive to color because I'm a man, I'm American, you know, but I, I think that it's a worthy thing to think, really test yourself of how different colors affect you.
0: Well, this of course is an American stereotype, especially for men. This is changing, by the way, and I think that the psychedelics experiences of the hippies helped to change because they were very much into color. I mean, you have men today wearing much more colorful clothing than they did when I was growing up 50 years ago. You have men today who are wearing scents, body odors, perfumes, who are doing their hair, even their eyebrows differently who are, and these are straight men. Gay men have been doing this for ages. (laughs) We're talking about the multi-million dollar industry for men who are straight, and all of the makeup that's been used. And I think that psychedelic experience, as well as the gay culture, has had an impact upon men bringing more color into their lives, and I think that this is very positive. There are still a few areas like pain, and this is very important, because... Men, especially veterans, don't like to go to psychotherapy. They think that this is a sign of weakness, and so half of the veterans who have PTSD don't go near a psychotherapist, even if it's free, even if it's through the Veterans Administration, and this is very sad. What's even sadder is the half that do go only go to one or two sessions. So you have, at best, 25% of veterans with PTSD going to some sort of therapy, and sometimes the therapy is really not very effective. This is a very, very serious problem. And the first step of getting over the problem is for people to acknowledge that they need help and then for them to find the right type of help. And again, the refusal to say and admit I need help goes back to the stereotype of the hardness. And you not only have men buying into that stereotype, you have plenty of women buying into that stereotype, too, where they don't want help. They won't even get help from their friends. Women, fortunately, are much more liable to have a close-knit social group of women friends who can be helpful to them. And they're very lucky that they have that bonding. I think maybe it has to do with their brains being a little bit different than male brains, yeah. because women's brains have better communication between the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere, and so they can pull on both their logic and intuition when they're making a decision.
1: Yeah, yeah. I wonder potential, you know, the the, the bio, cycle, social effect of our sexuality. You know, something I think perhaps one of the reasons that oftentimes homosexual folks are fairly progressive with a lot of things is because they've accepted that they're not, they don't need to be a part of the norm, you know? And it's like so many other people are struggling to fit in. Whereas if you truly accept, you know what, like I'm not even into normalcy that I think is a gateway to a lot of really fantastic development.
0: Yes. I think that this is much better than it was when I was growing up, but thanks to gay liberation thanks to the uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, etc. movement, we have many more people accepting themselves. And if they don't fit into the norm, that gives them the freedom. This gives them the liberation to be creative. Right. And this can actually be an asset to them. We simply have to convince young people it's okay to be different, because, as you know, there are numerous suicides of people who are Perceived as different, and who are being bullied, and I think that Lady Gaga, bless her heart, saved thousands of lives with her song "I'm Born That Way," I'm Born This Way, and that's become an anthem for kids who have taken the challenge to be different and to be happy that they're different. Yeah,
1: yeah. It seems like a lot of this, like like trauma and PTSD and such, comes back to. Uh, you, you, I know you're familiar with Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. I assume I assume you, you. are a really important important book in my life to date in relation to you know finding finding the why for why you're here. You know, yeah, and sure. if, if you have that meaning, then you're full and you are light and you you know you feel integration. But it's that aimless disconnect from yourself, from the community, from your purpose in the world. I think that's what leads to a lot of that, and we we don't necessarily stoke that in our culture as much. We I don't know that we know how to. I think that's something we need to focus on.
0: Absolutely right. I'll put in a plug for a book I wrote with David Feinstein, Mm. Personal Mythology. This is a book of two dozen rituals and exercises where people can discover their mission in the world, their own personal myth, and to use their dreams and imagination to live it and bring it into their lives. But however they find meaning in their lives, yes, this is something that they go out and live and— there's nothing better to read than Alan Watts. He's a good resource in terms of people who are questioning, and people can read any of his books and get something valuable out of them. Yeah.
1: Awesome. We are about out of time, but I need to... You were friends or associated with Terrence McKenna and Timothy Leary, and... Yes. Good God. Is there any... Do you have any kind of... Just any kind of stories or anything in reference to just like what they were like, or what's...
0: The person who I put high on the pedestals, Albert Hoffman, the discoverer of LSD, he was a good friend of mine, and he was one of the two or three most spiritual people that I have ever met. He lived out in the countryside. He was close to nature. He was a marvelous human being and didn't have some of the excesses that, unfortunately, we have to associate with Timothy Leary. Even though we were good friends, he did go off the deep end. He did hurt the movement. He did hurt a lot of people with his excesses. And so he was a wonderful person, but a deeply flawed human being. Hmm. However, you know, I accept my friends the way they are. I'm flawed, too. My friends accept me the way I am. And this self-acceptance is part of what we call rational emotive behavior therapy, founded by another friend of mine, Albert Ellis. And for mental health, you accept yourself, you accept others, you accept the universe. And once you have that acceptance, you can go on from there to make rational choices that bring in the emotion, that bring in the behavior, and lead a and more productive, and above all, a happier life.
1: Yeah, that was cognitive behavioral therapy, was Albert Ellis, right? Is that, what's, yep. that was his thing. Um, oh. Yeah, that's just. It's what's that? It's, it's
0: uh, rational emotive behavior rational
1: therapy. Emotive behavior. Okay, maybe uh, R-E-B-T, it's, rational,
0: rational emotive, emotive behavior. R E B T, rational emotive behavior therapy. Uh,
1: therapy. All right, somebody Look else is the cognitive book behavior. By
0: Albert Ellis and Debbie Ellis, wife. Rational of Behavior Therapy. It tells you anything you want to know about the movement.
1: All right, I gotta check that out. Awesome. You're. I. I hope that um, a documentary comes out on your life and just that you're legendary, man. <laughs> like that's that's just great. Thanks for thanks so Bye much. The for
0: the producer.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> thanks so much for thanks your time. You. Um, how do people find out more about more about all the books? Uh, you know, Voice of Rolling Thunder and your website, or just how do people get learn more?
0: Yes. Well, my website is very simple. It's com, And people can read many of my articles for free on that website and see many pictures of Rolling Thunder and some of the other folks you've mentioned today.
1: Cool. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much. I look forward to, I'll be in San Francisco next, well, two months. Um, so hopefully I get to connect while I'm out there.
0: Okay, fine. Good to meet you. <laughs> Good luck
1: for your listeners. Appreciate you. it, man. See you,
0: brother. Align Podcast.
1: Thank you once again for uh, for Sigmatic for supporting this podcast and for bringing such a radical product to the world. Uh, I utilize the cordyceps and lion's mane before any workout movement session that I do. Uh, chaga mushrooms every morning as I'm traveling. I always bring along some type of mushroom bl- blend for immune support and just overall vitality. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Tim Ferriss has been loving that that. Sean Stevenson, I believe, from the Model Health Show as well has been getting down on those. Um, so they are spreading like wildfire, and I highly recommend you checking them out. Um, jump on to foursigmatic.com slash align for 10% off of your purchase. I can't re- recommend it more. foursigmatic.com slash align, u r S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash align and you will get 10% off of any purchase from Four Sigmatic. Thank you once again so much for tuning into this podcast if you guys want to show some support show some love for what we're doing here um, you can jump on the website aligntherapy.com A-L-I-G-N therapy dot com and then from there a uh, couple things you can do one of which you could actually donate through Patreon there's a link on the right hand sidebar bar of the blog and podcast page Uh, you can utilize the Amazon affiliate link Uh, anytime you or anybody you know buy some crap on Amazon please and thank you bookmark that link every time you do it we get something like 7% of your purchase and it helps support this show it is awesome so great as well something you could do that is ultra helpful if you or anybody that you knows um, has ears and likes books uh, tell them to check out the Audible Trial.com slash align. That's A U D I B L E trial.com slash align. And then from there, that is, uh, you get a free audio book from Audible. They have something like, I don't know, a bajillion different titles to choose from. Uh, One that I would recommend that I got from them was Shantaram. It's a huge book. And uh, again, all free, no matter what size the book you get. And that got me through, I listened to that as I was traveling through Morocco. And uh, just really, really amazing website uh, Amazing service Couldn't recommend it any more And uh, it kicks us down some scratchola Every time you guys utilize that free thing Costs you absolutely nothing And you get a free audiobook And you support the show Boom um, Thanks so much for reviews on iTunes That's greatly appreciated And thanks just in general for listening Thanks for supporting Thanks for, for spreading the word Alright, I can't express enough how much I appreciate appreciate all that. If you guys ever have any questions or comments, you feel free to email me directly at Aaron at And I would love to talk. All right. See you guys.
0: Thank you for listening and remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcasts.